Just like we want to put the magic back into your career, our goal is bringing the magic back to building design by eliminating the overly complex and anti-creative elements of building information modeling. Learn more at arcol.io. That's A-R-C-O-L dot I-O. An architect, in my own words, is a change maker. Definitely a change maker. We have so many powers that, again, affect not only the inhabitants of your design product, but also the communities at large. We're definitely change makers. And I hope we think that way. I hope most of us think that way, because if not, then we just become nine to fivers, doing a job, go home. And if you don't really think about the extent or the impact of what you're actually doing on a daily basis, then what is it all for? Welcome to Tangents by Out of Architecture. Out of Architecture is a career resource network helping designers apply their incredible talents in untraditional ways. We're highlighting some of our favorite stories from the amazing people we've met along the way. We will hear how they created a unique career path for themselves from the wide variety of skills and talents they developed in and out of architecture. Our guest today is Ellen Abraham, Chief Pin Officer at Architect Pins, one of our amazing OOA advisors and Senior Project Manager and Co-Founder of Equity Design Lab at SOM. I love chatting with Ellen about her entrepreneurial spirit and her love for the profession and community that keeps her very much in architecture. Our favorite question to get started, how would you describe yourself in three words? Hi everyone. I would describe myself as a risk taker, ever curious. I wanna say entrepreneurial. Yeah, I think that's me in a nutshell. Sounds great. We get curious a lot with architects, but this is the first time I've heard risk taker and I think entrepreneurial as well. So I'm really excited to hear how those words play out in, in your story. And what is your background in architecture? I will say I I got interested in architecture at a very early age. So I'm from the island of Dominica. And while there, I went to both art school and music school while I was in primary school. And while there, I got to learn quite a few skills. And one of them was really creating art out of nothing both on the music side and on the art side. In art school, we would paint a lot of the French Creole homes in the city called Roseau. And so I thought these were so beautiful and had so much history, even as a nine, 10 year old. And at the same time, my dad, as a police officer, he had designed our house that we were to move in. And I remember he would take me while they were pouring the foundation, we walked, the house while it was bare, only concrete walls, took me on the roof, introduced me to his friends who were the guys building it. And this was all before the age of 10. I'm an only child. And so I'm sure he treated me like a boy, right? And took me all over. But even with those experiences, I was like, at first I wanted to be an artist. And then I was like, oh, I could build these. And so I started asking questions like, am I a contractor? Would I be an architect. He gave me those vocabulary, of course, at that young age, but just trying to figure it out. I went through high school and the college in Dominica, at the College of Dominica, I did building engineering at the time for two years, graduated top of my class and got a scholarship 
at the end of that, and I decided to come to New York to pursue a university and a career. Once here, new world, immigrant, had to figure out everything, new culture, new friends, et cetera. But I went to City College in New York for my undergrad, which was a great experience because I got to meet other young people who had emigrated to the U.S. just like me, who wanted education and a new life. Graduated there, had a wonderful education, I made some great friends, and I graduated in 2010. So that's how I actually sprung into the profession. And what are you up to these days? These days, I work for Skidma Owens and Merrill SOM out of the New York office, and I'm a senior project manager. Right now, I work in the transportation, civic, and government practices. And for those of you who may not know what a PM or project manager does, I'm basically responsible for design excellence, quality of the work, profitability, timely delivery um, of the team, and also just supporting the teams if they need information, whatever gaps that may be present as a liaison between the client, my superiors, and the team, you're able to facilitate all of that so that they could succeed, essentially. Yeah, generally on our podcast, we ask questions more about like switching careers or moving out of architecture. But actually, that's not the case here at all. You're very much within architecture and you're doing many things. But I think, and maybe it's part of the entrepreneurial nature of yourself, but Mm -hmm. you're doing so much more. I would say it's also different than like a traditional architect in a way. I would agree. So I haven't done the full, I haven't put both feet out. And it's because of my love for the profession and what we do for community, like architects, designers, urban planners have such a huge impact on community well-being and health and joy and the future and sustainability. I can't see myself leaving completely. And so because I do have an entrepreneurial spirit, I tend to carve out micro niches within the larger industry in order for me to, one, have higher impact, but also to affect change. For example, yes, I am a project manager at SOM, but at the same time, during 2020, during the civil upheaval or awakening, I would say, of America, more people became aware of many of the injustices that we Black and brown people face in this country. And a group of my colleagues and I, we had a conversation with our partners to discuss that and discuss what we're seeing on the news. We're home during the pandemic as well, how this is affecting us. We're working at a high level, but we're also suffering personally with our families, et cetera. So through these conversations with our partners, partnership or leadership was able to develop SOM's 34-point DEI action plan. And one of the points was to focus on community-first work, equitable work that gives back. And that's not to say SOM does not currently do that, but it's building upon a global legacy in order to do that more. And that's how the Equity Design Lab was founded. It was really out of those conversations. It was conversations about 
how can we not do our jobs, but also help our community to thrive? And I've been leading that for the almost two years now. And I would call it a research-based emerging practice, so to speak. So we're creating new workflows for our designers and for our managers, an equity-focused lens with a community-focused lens. And through that, we're building more partnerships with minority or small businesses, a business talent. We're creating workshops and digital tools for our designers to use in order to actually measure their impact in terms of social equity or economic equity or even ecology, right? It's how can we take our work one step forward so that when you design something for the community, they actually remember you. One, they remember the impact you've had on their lives. And they also see themselves in your work because they helped you and contributed to it. I'm really proud of the lab and we are a global force and we're infusing equity and social justice in everything that we do. That's amazing. And it's so great to hear how it's not that there wasn't already things happen, but mm -hmm. you just wanted to do more of it because I Definitely. feel like in architecture, which can be very traditional or like resistant to change even, I feel like a lot of times it feels like the attitude is, oh, we're already good. We're already doing things in that vein. But that's not the problem. The problem is we need more. We need to equalize things or bring about equity. Were you met with any resistance along the way? Or what have you found to be more effective in these types of situations with a more traditional industry? It's really about conversation, harnessing, empathy, and a bit of educating. So I don't know or have all the answers, nor do my colleagues, but when you have leadership that has an ear to learn, to step into somebody else's shoes, to understand how their business could be better and more impactful, in this lens, it made it much easier. I think we did not have to do that much convincing about the importance of equitable design and also equitable design products, which are the buildings and the master plans and the things that we do. It was more of how can we fuse this into the existing business? How do we translate this as a value proposition to our clients who may actually be resistant? It's like, why should they do this? Or why should they think about other than their bottom line? So it's those conversations and also a lot of change management, not necessarily trying to change the work culture, but sharing with our colleagues why this is important, how we could make the work not easier, but more impactful and how they can see the changes that they're making in a more tangible way. If you know who your design product is affecting, how it's affecting them, if you can measure the success in that way. In fact, it's very much the same way we measure our sustainability metrics on our targets, our KPIs, I would like to say, is the same way that we can do this with equity. Did we make this community better? Did we stimulate the circular economy that already exists? Did we add any local jobs? Did we use materials that are from the local economy as opposed to using material from two continents away? 
how did we reduce our carbon footprint? Is our building or vision in helping with the local pollution issue that's currently here? It's like, it's helping our designers and our really our design culture to understand all of those intricacies that a lot of times in school, even like we didn't think about that. We thought about pretty pictures, great renderings, right? Making sure your presentation was right. We didn't really think about the long-term effects of our beautiful designs, right? It wasn't, our education is in that way. So I'm excited to be doing this work. Hey everyone, it's Jake from Out of Architecture. This episode is sponsored by Arcole. We gave Revit a pretty hard time throughout of architecture, mostly because you didn't go to architecture school to spend your days stuck fiddling around with detailing drawing sets or waiting for a file to open. Arcole is bringing the magic back to building design by developing a BIM tool that is as creative and collaborative as you are. If you'd like to help build the future of BIM, head over to arcole.io and join in their closed beta for early access to their new platform. That's arcol.io. Is there an example or experience you had since founding the Equity Design Lab where you can compare and contrast like what it would have been like before having this language and knowledge of ways to approach it or infuse this and what we would have done in the past? But now, since then, you gave a lot of really diverse examples of the metrics that you were, could be using to track it. I'm wondering if there's any story that's like quite memorable for yourself. If one story, I was on a client interview for a community master plan. And this isn't so much an internal thing, but it just goes to show how not only as designers, we're beginning to think this way, but our community leaders are. In the interview, it was a panel of council members and they asked a very important question. They said, and I'm trying to paraphrase, but they asked, how would your design or approach repair racial disparities that has occurred in this particular community? And I would say that my colleagues prior to us like having these discussions, I don't think that question would have come up in terms of how would your building or your master plan or your visioning plan aid those societal issues. And so having those lens and being able to, one, research the history so that you're empathetic to what people went through, both on right and left sides, being able to add to the conversation, and also having the honesty to say, at this point, we don't know, but we'd like to learn from your community members with a deep engagement strategy that we'd like to build with you in order to come up with the answers. I think that is where we're moving towards and I'm happy about that. So it's not necessarily a story of we did it this way and now we did it that way. It's really like, how is our industry changing to see both sides of the coin? Whether or not you're building a building, creating a master plan, building an airport, it really doesn't matter. People now are asking themselves, my stakeholders is not only those on my board, it's not only those getting the profits off of what we're doing here, but it's also the everyday person who sits on the bench outside of my building or outside of my park, right? How is what I'm doing affecting them? And I love that. 
You may not hear the excitement in my voice, but I do. <laughs> I do. I hope more clients will ask those questions and will challenge not only SOMers, but our industry as a whole with those qualitative metrics. Because we have the quantifiable metrics down. Now it's about the people gap. How do we make our, our communities better? I also love that. And it goes back to what you said before about like, how can we affect change? But it's mm-hmm. like we as designers who create buildings, the owners of those buildings that create them, but also every action we take, like it has a ripple effect of impact. And I love that like your view on things seems to be like everything we can do has an impact and I'm going to do something about that to make a bigger impact. Definitely. Even within a large firm like SOM, right? It's one of the top firms in the world, a global leader. And even there, or if you're at a smallest company, you can pitch ideas to your leadership, whatever they might be. And I was saying this in the outer architecture Slack some time ago. So always keep pitching. If you have an idea that could help the business be better, even if you're not in the position to actually do the work, but you see a way for your business to be more cost-effective or to have a better governance in your ESG reports at the end of the year, or maybe there's a business gap that you and your friends would like to target, right? Working a few extra hours a week, pitching to your leadership because they will see, one, you have an entrepreneurial spirit, but they'll see your dedication to not only their business, but also our industry and see where that takes you. I have to ask, I'm sure everyone has their passions and what's important to them and that helps Mm -hmm. a lot, but also Mm -hmm. what helps on those long days? I think it's the energy of my colleagues who are also passionate about this. That's one. Two, thinking about our impact 10 to 20 years out. And three, when you have leadership that supports your idea, gives you the latitude and the resources to figure it out. That also takes a lot of the burden and of the work, for sure. I think those three are definitely helpful. So I don't think work-life balance can exist, actually. I'm a work long hours, rest long hours type of person. But I do believe in, what's the word? It's not balance, but it's like being close to balance. I wouldn't say that I work extremely long hours. I try to work smart. S-M-A-R-T, the acronym, actually, and effective within my workday, even if it's a little extended, because, you know, I do have another business I need to run. Yeah, let's get into that. Tell us more about Architect Pins. So Architect Pins right now is one of my love child's children, one of my love children. It started because... I think it was back in 2018 or back in 2017, the AIA had their national conference in Las Vegas. And I remember I couldn't afford to go. It was really expensive, but I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there because I was being featured in Pascal Sablan's exhibition, Say It Loud. And so someone said to me, why don't you just apply to volunteer? They'll give you a reduced fee or I think you get in for free or something like that. You just have to pay your board, like my hotel. 
And I believe SOM sponsored my ticket to go. So I did that, got in, and I worked with the AIA team and my volunteering shifts. And there we had lanyards that where we could collect buttons. And on the buttons had a lot of branding of Las Vegas, of architecture, of the AIA conference. But there were no buttons to represent people like me or persons with my design journey and others. But what I did see was that the buttons allowed the introvert within me to create conversation. Hey, where'd you get that button? Or where'd you go to school? What do you work for? Do you want to grab lunch? It was like, it helped to broach conversation, allowed me to meet other designers, other um, architects that I would not have been able to walk up to and say hello, if I'm honest, because I, I, I can be very shy. And so when I left the conference, I had such a great time and I thought, I'm going to create this for the next conference I attend. And the next one was a normal conference, the National Organization of Minority Architects. Their conference was in New York City. And so I decided to create a Black architect pin. And I remember I spoke at a seminar really early, it was like the 8 a.m. seminar, right? At the end of it, I walked to the back of the room and I saw a group of ladies and I had just gotten the, the pins from a manufacturer the day before. They were in my bag in the plastic wrapper. I had no website, no price. I had nothing. I just had <laughs> the raw pins in my bag. And I said, hi, could you let me know if you like this? What do you think of these pins? And I started handing them out, literally. And the support I got from these ladies, I will never forget. They were like, oh my God, this is so nice. How much is it? What's your website? Do you have a card? Like all the business questions that all entrepreneurs should have, they were asking. And I remember at that conference, NICOBA, the NOMA chapter, they helped me to sell out all the pins that I brought. I think I did 250 or 300 pins I sold from my bag at that and that was proof of concept. It was proof of concept. That's how I started. I love that story. Where has it grown to now? It's definitely growing. I There's two parts to the business. So one is the pin shop. And there I um, design and produce pins with the goal of representing our diverse journeys within architecture and the design industry. So there's a I Fight for Justice, Design Justice pin. Right. There's a black architect pin, of course. There's a diversity architecture pin. And then the other side of the business is a pin design studio where I meet with potential clients for 30 minutes just to understand what their ambitions are, what are the intrinsic values of their pin, the why I like to say. And from there, if they want to proceed, then we create pins for their organization. And I really love doing that. I love the idea of you wear something that represents maybe who you work for, what your values are. And when you enter a room, it speaks for you or it screams for you, as I like to say, and your people will gravitate to you. So it's a way of, it's a way of building and fortifying community, I feel like. So I'm excited for its continued growth. 
I feel like like even this podcast, I like I feel like I had a similar inspiration where I love the stories of the people I was hearing. So I just wanted to keep sharing that. And I hear the same commonality with your story. Like they don't already have the design. Like you're creating their story or like finding it out in them. Definitely. From our conversation, I like to repeat back to them the words I might hear. So a lot of times uh, my clients want the pins to be bold. They want it to be simple, elegant. They want it to be confident. So they use these words. I repeat it back to them. And that is what goes back into the design of the pin. That's what influences it, so to speak. And also persons don't really think about the technical parts of the pin the same way lay people don't think about technical parts of architecture. I don't want to compare the two. One is highly technical and for life safety. The other one is accessories. But we can think of them as manufacturing processes, right? We points of failure, points of profit, points of impact. It's really the same thing. So yes, based on that initial conversation, it influences the design of the pin, the size, the parts of it that are cut out, the parts of it that are recessed versus not the hex of the colors, whether the back has their name or not, or if their back of card has the information or if they want their pin to be muted and silent. There's all these ways of representation with a pin. And I'm excited to bring it to the masses one day in museums, conferences, et cetera. I'm excited for that. And also to the engineering and the construction side. Architect pins is just the beginning. I do want to make pins for engineers because I don't see them as well representing the diverse disciplines or even their journeys. So I hope to do that too. Yeah, absolutely. If I think back to my experiences from school or working, it feels like architects always have this type of persona, how everyone perceives architects with the thick rim glasses, maybe older white male. But the all black. Yeah, has to wear all black. But it's what it does is it just erases all the different types of personalities you can have. And I think that kind of makes it harder to express your personality when it's so different from what you think an architect is supposed to be. Yeah, I don't subscribe to, I wear glasses, but I don't subscribe to to what you describe. I know it exactly. I feel like whenever you go out to events and fellow architects and designers, we're all in black. Everyone has glasses. The hair is pinned back. We could look very intimidating, very intellectual, very nerdy in a good way. And whereas I come into a room and I'm wearing color. And my hair might be, I relax my hair, but I could be in a frill and my glasses have pink. I love the persons who walk into a room and they look different and they confidently do. And if you aren't confident, it may not be a pin, but it could be some Dr. Martens that you want to sport. Maybe it's a headband, something on you that represents your heritage, your culture, some a band that you love. Always stay true to you and represent yourself with whatever you're wearing. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like you'll probably feel more comfortable doing what you need to do once you're comfortable ex- like with how you're expressing yourself. Yeah, and your people will find you. I feel like that's a lesson I've learned in my 30s is that when you stay true to you, and even in your career trajectory as well too, 
when you stay curious, right, your people will find you. For example, right now, AI has come to the masses, whereas AI was has been around for a few years now. But now there are pockets of designers who are meeting informally to discuss things and to research it and like, how can we enhance our workflow with AI and like having those conversations when you, what I mean to say is that the same way there are groups of people pulling for this, there there will be groups of people who want to travel and hike. There will be groups of people who want to start micro businesses. But if you don't stay true to your curiosity, to the things that interest you, that make you different, you won't find your people. You'll always be following other people. And for me, I'm really interested in AI. And so I'm the group that does that. I'm super interested in like, micro businesses. So I found other designers who have created quite a few designers who are figuring out how to be venture backed. I find my people, persons who work in product businesses like you, you find your people. And now I'm at out of architecture as an advisor. Why? Because one, I'm not traditional, but two, I found my people. So whatever my interests are, I put a toe in and then five toes in. And then I start to build experiences within those different verticals. And just to tie it back to OAA, when someone comes in mid-career and they're like, I don't know what to do, or, but I've spoken 20 times at this conference about this molecular whatever, or I have this business idea and I have no idea what to do with it, or I'm licensed, I've worked for 25 years and I want to pivot because I and our other advisors, you, et cetera, have stayed true to ourselves and our curiosities, you're able then to inform conversations about those pivots, about those micro pivots. So I think I say all of that to say, <laughs> stay true to yourself so you can find your people. That is, that's a mantra of mine in my 30s. That was long-winded. But it was beautifully said and so true. Like, you can't plan for these things. You can't make them happen just because you would love them. You really just have to keep putting yourself out there, keep yeah. going after what you want in your life. And then it happens in ways that you can't even create for yourself by just by willing it. Exactly. Your people will find you. It's really true. Oh, wow. I should put that on a pin. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Any advice or as you're guiding through everything, like I feel like so much of it is based on gut feeling to some extent. Any things that you have learned along the way that might give some guidance to other people that are like in the searching process? Yeah, I one of my mentors when I worked for Acom said to me, fail forward. And I've kept that at the back of my mind since then. I took it with me to business school. I took it with me to my next career. I took it with me to my field entrepreneurial pursuits. I took it with me in relationships. I took it with me in my pitches, my family. It really doesn't matter. Feel forward. The most successful people have the most failures. It's because they're risk takers. They try things. It, it's okay to be safe and conservative if if that's where you're on the spectrum, I'm not bashing you or saying that your way is wrong at all. But when you fail forward, you recover faster every time. You discover your people who are failing too, 
but you are figuring it out. You you discover new resources, new ways of representing yourself, new confidences within yourself. You learn to trust yourself too. But I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe that's confidence in self. But failing forward for me, I will take that into the next 25, 30 years of my because I want to look back and say, I invested hours and time and money and whatever into X, Y, and Z, and these didn't work out, but look at what did. Look at how many people I was able to help, how much community we were able to coalesce, right, or to build. You can't have those type of visions if you don't fail forward. So that's my two words. That should be a pin to fail forward. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) That is such a nice reminder. I feel like everything comes in like waves, right? You try to focus on yourself and then you try to focus on work. And like sometimes it feels like they're battling each other and then you want to break, but then you get excited about things and you want to take on more. So I, I feel like when you say fail forward to me, it's just a reminder to embrace it all. Like the messiness of it all. Give yourself grace. Some days you'll be on point and sharp. And some days you'll be really foggy. And just you took one step though. Give yourself grace. Because I have tons of ideas. If I had a lot more money and a lot more time during my day, I would probably have three to four other businesses. We do what we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel everyone says architects are such perfectionists, but that's like another misconception that we should break because we're also like very creative, passionate dreamers too, right? Yeah. Get rid of the perfectionist part and just keep doing things. Keep doing things. And I think we're also great problem solvers, great process thinkers. There's so many, this comes up a lot in our conversations. There's so many not values, but there's so many skills or skill sets that we have that are transferable to many other careers or career paths or to adjacent career paths that we probably don't champion enough and celebrate enough, first of all, in school. And then when you start off your career, as you have more of these conversations, you begin to say, or to realize, oh, I have really good contract negotiation skills. You don't only have to use it on client architect or architect subconsultant type of contracts. I can do this for a lot of other things, right? It's a transferable skill. Or the way they had us present our projects in school in front of a panel of architects who would criticize you and tear you down. That gave us a lot of confidence to present our ideas, to pivot on point, right? Like you could be a TED speaker because you've had five years, literally five years of experience presenting your ideas. I say this all the time too on our intro calls with clients. Take the time to write down your skill sets without your current career's lens on what you do. And you will see that you're so much more than your title, so much more. And once you notice that, you can also equate value other places too. And that's where salary negotiation comes in, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think so too. And actually, while you were talking, I was like, I want to make sure I say this. You kept saying, oh, that should be a pin. Always be pitching. I think, I don't know if you Always said. Always be pitching. Yeah. Yes. That needs to be a pin too. <laughs> that should be a pin too. 
Oh yeah. my goodness. I need an investor so I could make all of this. Yeah, I agree. We all, we have so many great ideas. Someone said to me, I can't remember who said it to me, but keep a notebook of all your ideas. Because a lot of times we forget all of our inventions. And if you don't write it down, it's poof, you're on to the next thing. But because we're all so like, we're creative based. Whether we pivot into anything else, our core is to be creative. So keep writing your ideas and pitching them. This is a little out of place, but I really liked it because so many parts of your story, your conversation go back to community. And I think like when you get lost in all of that, I feel like even just conversations with the people that you found, it really resets you almost. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that back in there. It does. And also as an immigrant to this country, because, you know, I'm not from here. My mom and dad are in Dominica. Most of my family is still home. In order to survive here physically, mentally, and spiritually, I have had to continually create and nurture community or communities. So it's important. It's important for my and other well-being too. In order to be successful anywhere, anywhere you want to emigrate to. Yeah, absolutely. How would you describe an architect in your own words? An architect in my own words is a change maker. Definitely a change maker. We have so many powers that again affect not only the inhabitants of your design product, but also the communities at large. Policy. We can go into a rat hole about design policy, how we can affect that. Like or we can affect climate change, we're definitely change makers. And I hope we think that way. I hope most of us think that way, because if not, then we just become nine to fivers, doing our job, go home. And if you don't really think about the extent or the impact of what you're actually doing on a daily basis, then what is it all for? And you know what? Your work is going to have an impact regardless if whatever position you hold, definitely try to do something meaningful, impactful with your time. Yeah, but I don't know how to get people to think that way. I think it has to be internal. So the more conversations we can have around impact and the more ways that we can show the tangible effects of what we do as designers, what we do with our pivoted careers, et cetera, the more people will get it. Impact matters. That's another pin. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, another pin. (laughs) One more question. What are you looking forward to in the future? That's a loaded question. I think I have a bit of ADHD because like I had a slew of thoughts. But many times I think about there are billions of people in this world, but how can my path shine light or make at least one thing better? Whether it's system-based like water systems or food systems. And that's the other thing, just being civically minded too. Whether it's like community, like I love to speak about island nations, right? Like the smaller nations that, that need or help, like how, et cetera. I'm thinking about all things, but how can I use my skill set, my talents, my God-given talents to make at least one thing better? I don't think I answered the question, but in 50 years, when I look back on my life, that's the question I will ask myself, and that's the question I hope to answer. What did I make better? Hey everyone, it's Aaron from Out of Architecture. 
If you find these stories inspiring and are looking for guidance, clarity, or just need someone to talk to about where you are in your career, please know that we offer 30-minute consultations to talk about what may be next for you. If you're interested, head to outofarchitecture.com scheduling to book some time with us. Hey everyone, it's Jake from Out of Architecture. We love hearing your stories, but we know there's more out there that we've still yet to experience. If you or someone you know would be a good fit for the podcast and has a story about taking their architecture skills beyond the bounds of traditional practice, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at tangents at outofarchitecture.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast. New episodes every two weeks. See you then.